This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. I'm Jonathan Agnew. Welcome to the Test Match Special Podcast. Looking back on England's 269-run victory in the third and deciding test at Emirates Old Trafford. To come, we'll have all the reaction, including from Stuart Broad, who took his 500th wicket today. And we'll have analysis from Michael Vaughan and Carlos Brathwaite. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Carlos, how do you reflect on this series as a whole? I think the, I think the team ran out of, ran out of steam. Um, they would have been here for a month before the first test. Um, I guess they would have been chomping at the bit to get out and play in Southampton. They did. And I think that game is the blueprint for how West Indies will win majority of the games. Bowling the opposition out for under 300. Um, batting and getting somewhat close to it. Um, hopefully over it and then again back in the bowlers to give them less than 300 to chase I think 300 at this moment is the magic number they obviously haven't gotten close to it in this test but there's a sense that even with winning the toss the captain and the management staff aren't confident enough in the batting unit to say let's bat first and I think when I play for Barbados and Craig Braffer is captain we know if we turn up to play and it's sand water or whatever we know that once Craig Braffett win the toss, we're going to bat first. Mm. And we custom getting 300, 350, 400. Um, and the opposite is true for the West Indies team. So I think the bowling lineup has settled itself a bit. Um, and the pleasing thing for me is the progression that they would have shown. First test down the channel, it worked. Second test down the channel, it didn't work. And they then would have seen what England would have done. They came into the third test, then you saw a lot more short balls being bowled, a bigger effort to incorporate the short ball. So they've obviously learned from test to test. Um, it's a lot easier to learn and implement your learning as a bowler as opposed to being a batsman. You have to reprogram and rework all the things you would have done. Um, and the batting lineup just wasn't skillful enough to handle Broad and Anderson and there's no there's no disrespect to them they've been more senior um, more claimed batsmen batting partnerships batting lineups that have failed in English conditions and have failed um, under the pressure of Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson but it's important for them to go and learn from it I think 2017 would have been a bit too early in their careers um, it would just be a case of coming and failing and learning um, but they probably didn't know how to implement it they would have gone away from that, put up some decent numbers in different conditions, come back a more knowledgeable side, but still not as skillful. The challenge is now to move on from this defeat. And if they come back to England a year, two years later, then for there to be a lot more improvement on this performance as a batting unit. What's the one thing or two things that they need to, to work on, that they, they need to learn playing in England? I think getting a stride in and it's not necessarily a massive stride with your front foot, but getting your head forward and over the ball, your foot will react as a, as a, um, as a response to your head getting forward. A lot of time they've been happy to just play from the crease, and when the ball hits the back and you think you play late, then it's fine. Um, but when the ball tracks back, has, has been the problem throughout the series, then you're searching with your hands. Majority of them has, have come over, to off stamp or middle and off to kind of negate the nick off and the expansive drive because that is how they play the cricket um, 
So it's a two-edged sword. You, you stay on middle stump and you get nicked off or you go over to off stump and you worry about getting trapped LBW. But I think Pope got hit just outside and it's just the stride alone that saved him. And that is a lesson for them going forward. I mean, the Caribbean pitches are slower, so they will have to get into it. And I think with the advent of the short ball and trying to be balanced enough to get back to play the short ball, it stopped them from coming out. But they need to then find ways. If I, if I think batting at my best is going to be me coming out and driving the ball or me coming out and defending, then practicing to play the short ball from that um, base of actually looking to get forward, looking to drive, looking to defend on the front foot and not worrying about the short ball because Jason Holder played it perfectly. Um, Michael alluded to it. He watched the ball. He was on the front foot. If it was too short, he ducked under it. He watched it all the way. And the ball was five overs of short balls at Jason Holder. After he played it as well as he did, it was like, cool, we need to go back down the channel like him. That obviously isn't affecting his footwork. But anytime you bowl short balls at a batter and he starts to jump like Dowrich did or take his eyes off the ball, you just always think as though you're in with a chance. And then you come over the wicket then and you know you have two options. Now the short ball that they're uncomfortable with or the fuller ball because you know they're not going to get forward because of the short ball. So it's just that confidence in the game to understand and appreciate and accept that their best strength is getting into the ball, whether it be drive or all the all the boys are brilliant drivers of the ball. Mm. Get into the ball, drive the ball, and likewise, if the ball is just back of a line that you can't drive, still get your weight into the ball, employ your forward defence, and when the short ball comes, watch it all the way along. Probably the only good hookers in the team probably be Jason Holder. He would take the short ball on, all, and John Campbell. All the others would duck and refrain from playing a shot. So you then need to back your forward defence or your drive because you're not going to score off the short ball. What about changes? What about players that after this tour, selectors might say, actually, time to take a break? Well, I think Shea Hope's name would come up for debate and more so because of the luxury, I guess, of Darren Bravo, Shamron Hetmeyer. If I had to pick a team tomorrow from everyone available, I think Hetmeyer would get in before Shea Hope. Um, Brooks would go to three, potentially Chase four, Hetmeyer five, Blackwood six, or Blackwood five, Hetmeyer six. Um, Shane Dalrich, I don't think, would be looking over his shoulder as yet, but Joshua De Silva has thrown up a canny little um, bit of debate. He's got the only 100 on tour in the warm-up game. He opened the batting then, but I don't think he's opened the batting since. So they played another game and he batted at five or six. He obviously took the gloves in the second innings. So you see that there's a keeper there. Um, if Shea Hope was in form and Dorich was not, you'd think drop Shea Hope down and him take the gloves. Um, would, would you want to push Joshua De Silva into opening after one solid year of first-class cricket? So there's a bit of debate there. And this is these are the times that you don't be emotional. You don't just think, we failed as a batting unit make three or four changes because that has a negative effect because John Campbell will go back to first class cricket he'll score runs and then he'll come back Joshua De Silva may have a rough time just to get started and then you see a situation as you had with Devon Smith where you bring him in he play four tests you drop him back to first class cricket 500, 600, 700 runs you pick him for four tests that doesn't help neither Devon Smith or the people that he's replacing so you may have to take the tough decision and say John Campbell you're in for the next series potentially even the next series after that 
but it would give Jeremy Solizano, who's back home, Shane Mosley, who's on this trip, Joshua De Silva, who's on this trip, a chance amongst themselves and give another young guy a chance to fight at first class level for that one spot as opposed to chucking one of them in too early. Uh, when I was playing Rajinja Chandrika, he got put rushed in at a deep end. Good player, um, but wasn't ready for test cricket level. And then you find yourself having to keep him on for an extra series, then an extra series, and then he dropped him and he's never regained his place since. You'd much rather them, those guys find defeat at first class level and they come to international cricket when you think they're ready to get a full run. Michael, what have you made of West Indies in this series? Um, I, I think the last two weeks, it, it's just been a little bit too too far for them in terms of the, the golfing quality. Um, playing against this kind of England side in these conditions, clouds around, the juke ball, bit of movement, um, it, it's not easy. Uh, that first week surprised me. Um, I'd be looking at that from an England perspective, thinking, you know, having seen the way that the Westerns have played the last two weeks, you know, I'll be looking at it again. You've got to look at it a bit cynically. How do you lose a test match to the team that we've seen um, play the last two weeks? But it was because the West Indies produced a wonderful performance. England weren't quite at the races. Uh, the batting didn't stand up to high-class seam bowling. And I think that's where probably the West Indies have really struggled. The fact that they couldn't freshen up that seam bowling department. You know, the batting... As Carla said, they're a batting unit that can get 300. And again, I look back to the toss this week and thought... Well, Wait a minute, Jason, you've got two off-spinners. Surely you've got to bat first. You've won the toss. You've just got to ask England a different question to what they were asked last week. Um, would it have made the result different? I don't think so. might have lasted a little bit longer. It might have been a, a closer contest. But I just think England are a better team in, in these conditions. Um, but we owe the West Indies a great deal. You know, I think the game of cricket in, in the UK, I dread to think where it would be without the West Indies agreeing to come over and play this series. The finances were so important for, for our game and you know I just hope in time that um, you know that the West Indies are rewarded with maybe a, a series or two or I'm sure the handouts from the Power 3 might have to differ going forward to try and help teams like the West Indies out more, more with finances to improve their game um, but the series doesn't surprise me it surprised me that it wasn't 3-0 you know that is, is a surprise for me um, what have we learnt from England? We've learnt that, you know, Dom Sibley at the top of the order. I don't quite get uh, a little bit of negative chat about him. I know he's a, a player that plays with great attrition. I know he's not probably going to be the one that you rush out the bar to watch. But as a team in Test Match cricket, he's the kind of player you desperately need. So we should be applauding his style of play uh, for the England side because we've been crying out for that kind of player for, for a few years. Um, I guess the spin department will be, again, a little bit of concern for England. Uh, we didn't see Don Best at all this week. Um, but ultimately, I don't think... I mean, I don't think we've found out a huge amount about the side because these are English conditions that they play so well in. Let's get some reaction from the England camp now. Jonathan Agnew is down there in the rain. <laughs> yeah, it's just started, Joe. I'm sorry about this. Uh, do you want to get your umbrella up quickly? There you are. It's just started to, to pour with rain. Just as, uh, as oh no, that's his, his umbrella's got inside out. That's not a good look. You're not <laughs> having to repair repair Joe Root's umbrella. There you go. Right. <laughs> that rather sums everything up. Well done, Jay. Must be delighted. Yeah, brilliant performance. Um, since that partnership between Hopi and Joss, really, I thought we've been in control of the game from that point onwards. And 
Our bowling performance this week was ex- exceptional, I think, throughout both innings. Um, and I think 300, 300 partnerships with the bat, which is uh, another stride forward in that department. So I feel like we're really growing as a team. Um, we've always been quite a hard team to beat in these conditions, but this last couple of games, I feel like we're, um, things are really coming together for us and we've just got to keep looking to improve, learn and, um, and keep you know, getting better all the time. And to come back from 1-0 down, oh, that's only happened, I think it was 2008 was the last time England managed to do that in a three-match series. So that's, you'll, be, you'll be pleased with that. Yeah, very pleased. Um, and we knew we had a uh, few things to contend with today, the weather being one of them. Um, but, <laughs> There's something slightly crazy about this. Yeah, but um, the way, as I said, the way the guys have bowled all the last two weeks have, have been outstanding. And, um, you know, you look at the, the headaches ahead of the series in terms of selection and things like that. Um, it's a great position to be in with guys being able to come in and put in brilliant performances. And uh, I'm sure you'll get to this, but Stuart's been unbelievable uh, yes. this week. Bat as well. Um, scoring the fastest 50 or one of the fastest 50s from, from his position in the order and with the ball he's just been exceptional Yeah, and to put himself out there as he did after the first test you know, he really set himself up in a way yeah it's uh, worked a treat hasn't it so yeah. really pleased for him and to 500 wickets is an is a incredible achievement 10 for in the game as well um, yeah, I couldn't be more pleased for him. I really couldn't. I've been training with him in in the lockdown period in, at Trent Bridge and watching the hard work he's been doing and the the different skills he's been even now still developing. Um, so to see all that hard work pay off out in the middle, I'm I'm really pleased for him. It's interesting though the selection, isn't it? I mean, it's it's it, it's not easy leaving out these bowlers and you see what happens when you leave leave him out. It it, it gets grumpy. I mean, what what, what I how, how do you handle it? Well, I think it's. I mean. It's worked out very well in the end, and we've yeah. won the series. And um, throughout that, we've we've had a good look at a number of different guys, um, different combinations, uh, and we're learning all the time in that department. But uh, as I said, for Stuart to come in and, and make an impact on the series like he has done is testament to how good a player he is. I'm sure you don't say something about the West Indies, the fact that they've come here. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing uh, effort from from them as a side. Um, not only have they played really good hard cricket out on the field. I think the, the way they've gone about it and the way Jason's led them, testament to, to them and the, their team. Um, and in this tough time to, to come out here and, and to give the world international cricket um, throughout a very tough period for, for so many people across the, the globe is an amazing thing. So very appreciative of, of them being part of this series and, and also you know, they play some really good cricket too. You're going home, Joe. Yeah, looking forward to it. Good. It does feel good. It feels very strange saying that... Um, in an English English summer, but um, the guys are all very much looking forward to getting getting away, spending some time with loved ones, and now then coming back and during the second half of it all. Okay. Haircuts all round. I'm not sure I'll be able to get one in. Um, oh, kidding. <laughs> there's some some uh, strict rules in place for haircuts. Oh, so still. Of course, yeah. We've got to make sure we do the right thing and yeah, we yeah. look after the bubble. So um, I'm sure there's a few lads that'll have, will, will look very different next time you see them. Well done, Joe. Thanks for talking to us. Cheers, thank you. And in these conditions as well. (laughs) It's absolutely throwing it down. Uh, You'll have heard, I suspect, the the rain on the umbrellas there. Um, Now, OK, I just... I think I can see see Stuart Broads here. Um, Stuart? (laughs) Are you allowed to come? Come on. (laughs) No, he's going over there. 
<laughs> Sorry, been, Danny, I don't, I'm, I'm being bossy. He's it's, been here. It's, no, I think they're bouncing the presentations, but it's going to be a shambles because it's pouring with rain. Uh, so it's a question of hold, trying to hold these umbrellas up. Uh, well done, Joe Root, for doing that interview. I can see Jason Holder making his uh, making his way over. Um, Michael, did you pick anything up out of out of that? I mean, that, that selection thing is interesting and from a captain's perspective. You know, obviously, uh, oh, it's great to have all these bowlers, but it, it, it's not easy managing it. No, but he, he responded just said he, he, he's you know they've, they've won the series. Um, you know, I, I guess if, in hindsight, uh, they, they may feel that they got it wrong because. Uh, you want to start the series well. England continuously go one nil down, and that's that's a concern, particularly against the better teams away from home. You're just not going to get away with that, um, you know. But let's not forget it was the batsman that didn't arrive in Southampton. We we can make it the narrative of Stuart Broad not playing because he's done so well here. But you know, you go back to that fourth afternoon, Ben Stokes, uh, Zach Crawley were completely controlling the Test match. If they batted like they should have done, batted into that fifth day, I'm pretty sure England would have been won that Test match comfortably. Uh, we wouldn't have even discussed it. So, uh, yes, it was an issue. Uh, yes, it's a talking point. Yes, it's a lovely narrative. But, you know, they've won the series and Stuart Broad's done exactly what he's done many, many times. Every time he's been doubted or prodded, he's generally uh, had the last laugh. And, and what a laugh he's had this week with 10 for and a 50. Yeah. Wonderful performance. Well, he's the England player of the series. Uh, Roston Chase is the West Indian player of the series. I might... I might... <laughs> I'm going to get Jason instead. Uh, that's nice. Thank you very much indeed. He's going to pop over quickly, I think. Very quickly. Yeah. It's, it's all a bit ad hoc. There's umbrellas everywhere. It's, it's, it's pouring with rain. Jason, <laughs> it's a bizarre way for it all to finish. But thank you for coming to see us. How, how do you feel? Disappointed with how it's all panned out in the end? Yeah, definitely disappointed. Um, yeah, I felt we were definitely outplayed here in this test match. Um, credit must be given to England. I think they played an outstanding test series, you know, to fight back the way they did. I uh, thought our guys, we had a lot of positives in our group. You know, probably one of the biggest disappointments that we didn't get 100 in the series. Uh, but overall, it wasn't a bad series for us, you know, but just unfortunately the way it ended. Yeah. Could you have freshened up the bowling attack? I mean, you asked a lot of them in, in this series. Yeah, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard one to debate, man. Um, you know, you're looking to clinch a test series, you know, you're probably looking to play the strongest team. You know, we've not had cricket for a little while and we, you know, we don't really have the luxury of rotation as probably you do have. Um, but in hindsight, you know, you can look back and say a few things, but more or less, you know, we wanted to win the series and, you know, we felt that we needed to put our best team out. Yeah, and um, what, what's been a real positive for you in, in the course of this series? What, what, have you what will you take away most? No, just the fight, you know, I think the guys fought really well. Um, you know, we had a lot of starts with the bat, you know, from various players in the team. And then obviously our bowling, you know, has, has definitely stood up again, you know. Some tough conditions here in, in Manchester particularly, but um, the test match I thought we won in Southampton was a really well-played test match and I think our bowlers must have given credit for the way they performed. Yeah. And your team as a whole, seven weeks, you've been, well, six of them in that hotel behind you there and just that one week's break in Southampton in, in another bubble. Was it harder than you thought it might be even? Yeah, definitely harder. Um, mentally, obviously, is, is a bit draining, you know, just seeing the same environment, not being able to leave. Um, yeah, it has been a challenge mentally. And, you know, more or less, you know, we've got to find ways to, to get, you know, get some more activity going on. Um, there's only so much you can do inside a team room with a few activities, but you know, more or less, people need to need a change of scenery, change of environment. But I guess it is what it is. You know, we're still thankful that we were able to play some cricket. Um, you know, hopefully we can get some more cricket at the end of the year. Uh, but everything's up. It's more obviously with the situation with COVID. So uh, I guess we take it in, in strides. You looking forward to going home? Yeah, definitely looking forward to going home. Um, it's been a while. You know, good to see the family again, and you know, refresh, recharge your batteries, and then head off to CPL. Well, look, on behalf of everybody. 
of, of our listeners. Thank you all for coming. Thank I mean, you so it's, much. It's, it's been really, as you know, crucial for English cricket, and I'm, I'm really glad you're taking something away as well. But thank, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having us. Thank you. There we go. Well, he's a, a lovely fellow. Talks, uh, talks so nicely as well. And uh, there we go. He's off to go and talk to, uh, to BBC Television. Uh, I think now he's giving uh, Joe Root a little uh, thump on the on the, uh, the fist there as it goes past. Still waiting for Stuart Broad. Uh, he's holding up a, uh, a bright red umbrella uh, over to our, our right. So we'll just wait and see uh, when he'll come over here. But hopefully uh, he'll be coming over, over uh, shortly. Carlos, any thoughts that you had there from, from the skipper? Wanda, yeah, as I thought, you know, just it, mentally, you're talking about international sport and Dorit is not your most elegant keeper, but if we could use him as an example, the way he played in Southampton with authority, he didn't obviously face much of Don Best since. Um, the way he kept as well, I remember him taking a fantastic catch. You just think the way he finished. I think his performance from match one to match three epitomised um, the way the West Indies performed as well. Um, in match one, everyone had looked up for it and it's almost as though being in the bubble for the previous four weeks um, gave them an extra uh, an extra drive in that first test. You're so happy to get out there and everybody was buzzing and the intensity was up. And then they had to drive up to Manchester. Everybody looked a bit leggy. Um, three days later, you're back into another test. Um, and it just got progressively worse um, since that first day in the second test. So I'd, I'd say his transformation from match one to match three epitomised and summed up um, the West Indies' decline as well. Right, Stuart Broad is coming over. He's done his, his umpteenth <laughs> interview over there. I think... Is it stopped raining? No, I'm sorry, Stuart. I'm going to pop mine up again because I've, I've got a, one of these microphones that might explode if it gets wet, I think. So hang on a sec. There we go. Wind up. Well, where do we start? Well, we've timed that well, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> where, where do we start? What, what, a, what, a, what a day, what a, what a, what a triumph, what a, what a series for you. And, and bearing in mind what the starting point was. Yeah, I mean, I chatted to you at the, at the Rose Bowl, didn't I? And I was, I said that I was frustrated and angry and stuff. And I was really down that week, but I've got some brilliant people around me to pick me up. And, you know, I knew I was bowling well. I knew I felt in good rhythm. So it was great to get an opportunity when we got here. Um, be able to you know have the chance to take some wickets and uh i couldn't i don't I, you know i feel in a great rhythm i i've been looking to hit the stumps make batsmen play and the pitches have suited that with um some sort of slow nibble bringing the lbws into play but you know i feel great i'm, I'm looking forward to a little break at home i think yes. we get four days after this biosecure we came in on the 23rd of june but also i'm looking forward to playing again you know when you're in these sort of uh, relaxed rhythms and and you feel like you can cause batsman problem you want to be bowling overs are, are you are you more comfortable after southampton now i mean have you you must have asked some questions and did you did, did you get oh no my water's gone did you, that's all over my shoes did you get, did you did you get sort of answers and explanations that you wanted yeah i did actually i had a really good chat with uh, silverwood and ed, ed smith and um, to be honest, it was it was always unrealistic to think that any seam would play all six of these test matches this summer with them being back-to-back and workloads and stuff. Uh, I was just disappointed that I wasn't chosen for that first game, but I sort of knew deep down I would get an opportunity. Uh, and you know me, if, if I get challenged or... Um, yes. 
if I uh, if I feel like there's something to a bit of a point to prove. You know, I'm a competitive person anyway, but. I came to Manchester with a, the, the bit between my teeth and um, it, it does feel really good to have been able to put some performances in. I think, you know, it's not as if the management staff were thinking that um, I couldn't do it anymore because my record over the last 18 months particularly has been pretty strong, but it's always good to to be on winning sides for England uh, and have contributed to, to winning test matches because, you know, when you when you cross 30 almost, you can, it's easy to write you off. When you're 34, it, it's much easier to write you off. But uh, I hope I've quietened the writer's offer for a little bit. Yeah, uh, but to be man of the series, having missed a third of it, <laughs> I mean, in terms of all, the, all your achievements, this would rank pretty high, wouldn't it? It does feel very special, and particularly in the sort of environment we've been staying in. Obviously, yeah. you've been a part of that as well. It, it is different. You can't get away from the cricket ground. You are living, breathing it all of the time, so that you do sort of put yourself under a bit of pressure, and um, I think that's why I felt particularly low at, at the Aegeus Bowl, because it was, it, I was left out, and it was hard to really get a break and get away from it. So, um, you know, I do... I do there is a slightly different pressure when you're fully in an environment like this, but uh, you know, I think when when you are when I've come out the other other side and bowling well and and taking wickets, it, it also makes you want to keep going and keep bowling. Yeah. So go on then today. <laughs> Were you searching for a little bit there? Uh, to be honest, I, it was really windy today, which yeah. um, probably one of the windiest conditions we've played in in England and I think that gave us hope in the fact that when it did rain the wind was going to blow through the rain pretty quickly but also relatively unsettling Uh, I felt like it was blowing me around a little bit when I was bowling so I sort of missed my length quite a few times and to be honest I don't think as a unit until Wokesy got going we we didn't bowl particularly well today but um, I think we were going to take a few boundaries to try and finish this game as quickly as possible you know it's uh, we had 98 overs to play with but in all honesty I don't think we were ever thinking that we'd get 98 in so we were going to try and take wickets as soon as possible and we said, look, if we're going to miss, miss on the full side because you can still nick a full ball on a slow pitch. Um, and then once wickets started falling, uh, Wokesy, who's been bowling beautifully all summer, arguably for me, pick of the bowlers, having watched him um, perform all the way through, uh, got his rewards today. Odds on you claiming Brathwaite oh. after you, know, you and Jimmy Anderson are, are, are so close, you've had this extraordinary relationship together. What would the odds on that be? It's breathtaking isn't yeah. it it's like it's sort of stars aligning stuff really he came to me yesterday and we were watching in the physio room and uh, he said you know who your 500 is going to be don't you I was like go on uh, and he said it's going to be breath weight you know? <laughs> I was like no chance so much has to align for yes. that you know he's he, that's it would have to be a third wicket so I've got a couple from the other end or you know, and he's still going and there it is when he got on strike he was just at, Jimmy was just at mid-off going you know I told you I told you I, told you. Yeah. I mean that's just we're great friends uh, we will be for life and that's something that we'll smile about for a long time because that is it, it's so strange that our, both of our 500th wickets were were, um, were were Brathwaite and Horrible uh, ball too. I mean, well, yeah, it just rolled along the ground, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I'd have taken anything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Well, we had Jeff Goodson from Edgerton Park on at lunchtime, Brilliant. talking about your arrival there, and he said, you know, for, for someone from that club, state 500 Test wickets. I mean, they're, they're all blown away there too. Oh, that's very special. Yeah, I mean, I did a huge amount of my learning at Edgerton Park Cricket Club, and um, probably the most important learning about just how much to enjoy the game. You know, whether you win, lose, or draw. Try and play with a smile on the face and 
you know, um, respect the game and respect your opposition. And I played with some brilliant people there. Uh, and yeah, I try and get back there as, as much as I can. Obviously, not so much this summer, but um, it's a club that I loved playing for, and, and they've played a huge part in, in uh, me being able to play for England. Right. Well, it's a great achievement, Stuart. Many congratulations. This is the TMS podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Well, it's wonderful to speak to Stuart Broad, albeit in the rain, and such a special day and achievement for him. Sun is out. Broad is in to Brathwaite. Brathwaite is stuck on the pad. Bigger pill for but it's given in. That is Broad's 500th wicket in Test cricket. And I think Brathwaite is walking off. He was absolutely plumb. It went low. It struck him on the pad. Bang in front. And Broad has made the breakthrough. You said it, Carlos. It's the time for Broad to wreak havoc. Well, he's done it, and he's also got to that milestone. His 500th wicket in Test cricket. It kept horribly low. Brathwick could do nothing with that. Struck on the pad, bang in front. Umpire didn't hesitate. Sometimes they do hate to be right. Um, <laughs> but congratulations, Short Broad. He's worked very, very hard. Um, put himself under a bit of pressure after the first test, and then he's coming back to it up on the field and richly deserved. Craig Brathwick won't be happy touring England. He was 500 for Jimmy Anderson three years ago. He's 500 for Stuart Broad now. Um, well, well. Chris Walks or Joffre Archer might be 400 <laughs> on the next time Craig tours England. Um, but no, probably unplayable. It was. Actually, we were seeing a replay of that. There was nothing that Brathwaite could do. There's no disrespect to the batsman. There's nothing he could do at all. It, it, that went about... Ooh, a foot off the ground, if that. Yeah, and it and it jagged back sharply. There was he was. It, it was an impossible delivery to face. It was an absolute brute, but uh, he got there, and that's the main thing. Let's get some statistical context, in, shall we? Uh, Andy, can you put um, that achievement, that milestone, into into context? Well, he's the, the seventh bowler to reach 500 wickets in Tests. The, the third, uh, the fourth seamer after Courtney Walsh, um, the great West Indian, Glenn McGrath, the uh, perennial tormentor of uh, England in the Ashes and, uh, and his uh, long-time teammate, friend and uh, colleague, Jimmy Anderson. Um, Broad's uh, reached it at uh, the age of 34, the second youngest of those seven uh, to reach 500 behind uh, Murley, so the youngest of the four seamers. Uh, in his 140th test, that's the longest of any of those uh, seven bowlers to, to, to reach that. It's interesting looking at the breakdown of his career, as we were talking about earlier on. His last, uh, the last 100 of the 500 wickets, we break it up into you know his average from wicket one to 100, then 101 to 200, has been uh, the lowest average, averaging 22.7 for his last 100 wickets. Uh, previously, his third 100 uh, was the best in terms of average at 26.5, also the best strike rate at 48.4, uh, and the second best economy has gone at 2.8 um, per over. So he's had a, a great um, sort of resurgence after a slight dip in his career. He never had sort of bad stats over a period, but the, the, the sort of wickets had dried up a bit. He was down to about three wickets a game, still still useful without those magic spells uh, that uh, that we talked about. And um, when it comes to his, you know, the, the magic spells that have defined his career, as I mentioned, this is his fourth three-wicket spell in the two matches he's had this series. And looking at his stats in innings in which he's taken four or more wickets, uh, he has one of the best averages 
of bowlers in those innings. Um, it shows how, you know, when he's on one of his hot streaks, when yes. he's on form, he's been especially effective. I think only Vernon Philander has a better average um, uh, in uh, innings in which they've, uh, bowlers have taken four or more wickets. He's uh, tied with SF Barnes for the most sixfers for England. He's taken 12 sixfers for England. Jimmy Anderson, uh, I think, only has, has five. So, again, that's further evidence that Broad's hot streaks on a roll. have been uh, yeah. particularly hot. Well, there's some nice symmetry about it all, with uh, with Craig Brathwaite being the 500th wicket for Broad, but also for his partner in crime, uh, Jimmy Anderson. And I've been talking to James about his old mate joining him in the 500 club. I'm absolutely delighted for him. He's, um, you know, he's worked so hard, particularly the last few years, the work he's put in on his action, you know, behind the scenes that people don't see, I think, um, just a credit to himself, really, and absolutely deserves... 500 wickets. He's been phenomenal for England. He's led the attack. Uh, he's, you know, hat tricks, fifers, amazing spells, match-winning spells. Um, and yeah, I've, you know, fortunately for me, I've been able to be a big part of that and see quite a lot of that. And we've shared some amazing moments together. And I think, um, yeah, it's, I think creating memories like this just makes us want to go on and do more. Um, we both feel fit. Uh, and still hungry to get wickets, so hopefully we've got both got yeah. a few more left in the in the tank. Any any spell or performance that, that really sticks out in your mind as being something that you know we're not in favourable conditions, or, or or something that really think cracky? That is a, a, that's a great performance. The one that always sticks out in my mind is 2009 at the Oval um, when the game was sort of not not really going anywhere. We needed to win the game to win the series. Uh, pitch was flat, wasn't much swing. And he just came on and blew people away, blew pont- got ponting out um, and, you know, got, got the big wickets and, and got, a, I think he got five or six wickets in that innings and that, that won us the game effectively. And, um, you know, obviously people talk about Trent Bridge in the 8 for 15, but for me, the, the ones that, where the, it's not in, in the bowler's favour when it's a flat wicket and not doing a lot and he, he just makes something happen and uh, it's, a, it's a very special gift to have because not many people who've played the game have got that ability to, to change games. Yeah. I, you, you clearly are a very close couple on the field. What about, <laughs> what, what about off? Are you, are you, are you, you know, generally big mates off the field as well? Yes, we are, yeah. Um, yeah, not... We, we, I'd say we're very close friends, yeah. Um, Do you talk about bowling off when you were just being friends away from cricket? Uh, we're normally dissecting Michael Vaughan's comments that he's made about us in the <laughs> in the media. <laughs> no, we we, sp- we speak most days, to be honest. Whether it's um, you know it can be about cricket, it might not be. Um, I think that's it's, it's certainly uh, having that sort of relationships helped us on the field. Definitely um, being able to have those awkward conversations as well. It's not always nice nice things you've got to say to each other. You, you've got to maybe give each other a kick up the backside every now and then so it's, it's having those difficult conversations as well and I think when you have that um, relationship where you're, you're quite close you know that you can have an argument and then brush it off 10 minutes later so that, that's definitely helped us um, but yeah it's, I mean someone who I, you know I, I try and I see him quite a lot as well away from cricket we play golf together quite a lot um, got lots of interests outside the game so that, that's a, another nice thing that we've got is that I'm sure years in years to come we'll still be catching up and talking about all the, the wickets we took yeah there's, there's something about typical about Stuart that this series actually he gets dropped he's angry he, he makes it clear he's, he's, he's angry as well it's, quite a, it's a brave thing to do to go out there and put yourself up you know, I should be playing 
because he's, you've got to back it up. And there's something actually typical about, about him, the fact that he has done that. Yeah, I think it sums his character up uh, completely. He's very determined, very, very sort of narrow-minded, I guess, in some respects. And, you know, when, when he is, his back is up against the wall, he, he finds a way of showing everyone what he can do and, and the sort of um, player that he is. Um, and, yeah, getting dropped obviously hurt him at Southampton, especially after the, the last couple of years that he's had. He's, he's been brilliant for England and, as I said earlier, led the, led the attack absolutely brilliantly. Um, and, he, yeah, he was hurt and, and he obviously said what he said. He's come back and backed his words up and um, you know he's, he's been doing that for years. So to be honest, every time he gets dropped or um, there's something said about him, he manages to, to show people you know what he can do uh, and back and always backs it up with his actions. Well, that's Jimmy Anderson who bowled alongside Broad for, of course, for so many years. Uh, Broad's captain for most of those 500 wickets was Sir Alistair Cook, and he's been telling Stefan Shemilt of the BBC Sport website when he first came across Broad. Well, we've been on. I've been on a couple of camps together, but not very many. I think I'll, he, I was in the academy, and I think he was around a little bit there on a part-time, but not very much because we didn't. He didn't do under-19 cricket, really. I played against him at school, which, um, if you had to ask him what happened, he was actually an opening batter at that stage. Um, at school, he went to Oakham School, but not our paths didn't cross really. We play, I played a one, I played a T20 fi- uh, finals day, would you believe, against him, and uh, you know he was very hard to hit. Well, I find everyone fine to hit, but and it was really until we got called up to England that we really spent a bit of time with him. What did you think, both as a a bloke and as a as a bowler. Well, first facing it was that 2020 at Leicester. And you just and I know it's going to sound really cliched, but he delivered on a really big performance straight away. As a 19, I think he might be 19 at the time. You got Ronnie Arania, and then and then he bowled a handful of balls with me before I ran myself out. No free, hit, no you know, no, no didn't see many nerves. He saw a bloke who would relish a big occasion. And I know people say, "Oh, that's what you." You're looking back now, but that's what my first impression was. I thought he was a tall bloke who could bowl quick, but liked the big occasion, which actually is a, it's a good trait to have. And as a character coming into the England dressing room, oh, I think it, like anything, it just takes a while to, to to feel confident in the dressing room. And like he was a young young man, but the one thing he's always, you know, he's always certain of. He, he, and I think a trait of a, of of a great is. You know, he knew his own mind and he knew which, which direction he wanted to take his game, how he wanted to bowl and what he needed to do. And, you know, he learned he went from being England's enforcer for a couple of years, which, you know, actually probably didn't, wasn't the best thing for, in one sense for him, but good because it gave him a real clear role and probably he didn't quite know his game as well as he did. And then, then he worked it out. Then he was like, no, I'm better than that. And this is the length of ball. And you can see over the last couple of years, every almost every... Five years, so he's got fuller and fuller. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm try, I, I've only got admiration for him. I think he's, you know, he's, he's always been slightly overshadowed by, by Jimmy Anson. There's always a bloke ahead of you. If you get 500 wickets first, or 400 wickets first, there's always a big fuss. But his record is as good as they come as well. You talk about him as um, those different roles he's had as a bowler, the enforcer, latterly changing his run up, bowling a fuller length. People have seen that and the changes of him as a bowler. 
what about the way he, he's changed as a person, if at all? But he's always had the stubborn streak in him. I think me and him would be very similar cats. If you're going to go and have an argument with him or a discussion with him, you better be very clear on, his, on your stats and your argument because you know, if he knows it's coming, he'll be very well prepared for it. Um, he's grown into the leadership role, I think, in terms of he likes, he likes being involved in leadership decisions. He likes being around that kind of thing. You know, you'd use him. You'd use him for that. And he'd all, but he also appreciates, he's, a bit, he's got that old schoolness in him that he does, he plays sports for, I think, all the right reasons, the enjoy, enjoyment of it. And then also getting out and about, playing his golf and for the experience of it as well, not just... You know, not just for playing sports, that makes sense. You said he was stubborn. What's he like to captain? Can he be grumpy and single-minded and difficult to persuade? He can be at certain times. But again, we're talking about the difference, really, of what makes people... And what makes James Anderson as good as he is? What makes Stuart Broad as good as he is? And it's that single-mindedness. I think you need it. They're bred slightly differently to... To, to a few people in that way and yes there's some moments where it's frustrating where he desperately wants an extra cover and you desperately want a third slip but that's what makes him the bowler he is and that you know that will that power of his you know that's so so determined that and so, you know so willful in one sense and it's not malicious it's never malicious it's not like a you know it's just him in his in, in his moment trying to do what he thinks is best and I'd say you'd rather have, as a captain, you'd rather have a, a character who thinks like that than just a total yes man. Because if everyone's just agreed with everything, you don't, I don't think you progress. I don't think you, you make the right decision um, a number of times. But there's never, as I said, there's no grudge, there's no maliciousness, there's no, you know, there's nothing behind it apart from just the heat of the competition. I, I'm always trying to work out with Brody like, you know, you look back at your career. Well, obviously, I, maybe I started to look back at my, my international career. And the one thing I'd always look back at Brody, he could lie in bed every night going, do you know, when there was a big occasion or a big moment in a high-pressure game, I delivered over my fair share of times. And that must be a great feeling. You know, and some people say, do you know what I mean? Some people you hear, you know, when it, when it you know, they got not easy runs or easy wickets. When... He made a diff- he's made a difference with certain spells at certain times in massive series, obviously starting with, say, the one in 2009, that one in the Oval. And that must be a great feeling, knowing when the pressure's the most, he delivered his skills as well as he could do. So I think that is one of his greatest attributes. As captain, could you tell, or as a teammate, could you tell when, they were, when those spells were coming? No, I, no I, I don't think you could, really. Like, you would never have said... You don't say... If it, people say... They do. Oh, he picks his knees up better. Then he'd pick his knees up every single time. I just think when it absolutely clicks, 100% for him. He's, he's so skillful at hitting length. He, you know, he's such a good length bowler. And, he finds, and he's, he finds the perfect length for that wicket very, a lot of the times very well. And when he's got that perfect rhythm, with, you know, like, like everything, you need everything to be working perfect. When he hits it, he's... He's got height, he's got pace, and, he's, and he moves the ball, so it's always going to be a handful. But it's like if you go back to that 8 for, you know, the, the 8 for 15, everyone said, oh, you know, it's happened. Well, he wanted to bat first, so. 
and that was going to be my next question. What are your memories of the 8 for 15? Well, I remember it being quite a dry wicket underneath, but with quite a lot of live grass, and knowing that it does tend to flatten out at Trent Bridge. And he'd obviously played, he played a lot there. But he missed Jimmy Anderson. You know, Jimmy Anderson was injured. You know, everyone's thinking it was a big loss. Of course it was a big loss, but who steps up? Who delivers the performance which changes the game? He does only be one for saying we're going to bat for we're going to bowl first when he wanted to bat. What's your favourite time that you spent with him, either well on the field and off the field? Um, do you know? What, do you know what? I was going earlier the interview. I said he, he plays it for the right reasons. That changing room, sat at the end of the changing room next to him or near him, knowing what kind of he he appreciates what we go through as an opening batter, uh, and and you kind of we and I obviously really appreciate you know what he goes through physically. As a bowler during his test match, and just sat there with him, some people, and at the end of the game. That's what I. That's what I remember. Just the conversation, just looking at each other, going, "Well, actually, I think we played 120 or test matches together." It's a lot of, a lot of memories, a lot of bad times, a lot of good times, and I think that's just sat there to the end. That'll that be my like, just enjoyment of a job well done because we won. We won quite a few games again. Last one. From all angles, from, from, from every angle that you would look at it, as an opening batsman, as a captain, as a friend, how good is he? Well, his record's just suggesting like 500 test wickets. It, you know, we kind of like get blasé about it in one sense because we've got one, uh, Jimmy on 580 odd and another guy with the 500 test match wicket era. I mean, that's a lot of wickets, isn't it? And I don't care how many, what era you're playing, what wickets you bowl on, to get 500 test wickets against the quality of... Playing, to play 130 test matches he played now, to survive in all conditions, um, he's, yeah, he's bloody good, isn't he? I think that's a, that's, no, I don't think we'll ever, I don't think, like, like all these things, I think when, when people finish, you remind that you, yeah, a little good pulse. Alistair Cook uh, talking to Stefan Schemmel. So we're looking back at uh, Stuart Broad's career, having reached the landmark of 500 test wickets today. He's been associated with Leicestershire since he was eight years old. He represented them at under-9s, and he played for the Melton Mowbray Club, Edgerton Park, which also uh, I know very well. The chairman of the club at the time uh, is Jeff Goodson, who's now ground manager. I don't realise you're ground manager these days, Jeff. Now, come on, you, you were there when... When Stuart first turned up, what do you remember? Well, I mean, yeah, it must have been the early 90s and uh, Stuart came down. Um, I think he must have been at the school in Oakham. Uh, not Oakham School, because he was still only a, a under 11, I think, when he came down and started playing uh, for our team in the juniors. Uh, and uh, you know, running around the outfield when the men were playing as well, coming in the nets. Um, yeah, in those days, uh, I mean, he was—he wasn't tall for his age, really, at the time, and uh, he was more considered to be a batsman, following his father's footsteps, I suppose. Um, an, but, an opening yeah. batsman, I think, wasn't he? He was an opening bat. Yeah, well, he yes. started probably started in men's cricket, playing on Sundays uh, in the local league, because we, we've always tried to in, in, introduce juniors into the Sunday matches. Uh, and then graduated into the second team on Saturdays and ultimately the first team, obviously. Um, but as you say... How, how, how good a batsman was he, Jeff, for his well, age? We, we thought he was a, a good batsman. We thought he would make a batsman, in fact, you know, uh, with his pedigree and everything. Uh, we didn't really... Well, he did try to bowl a bit, but he was, he was certainly not quick. 
uh, even as a youngster. Um, but uh, no, I mean, he, he was a, just a lad, really, like all the others. And we thought, you know, he'd perhaps uh, take it as far as he can, but with no real aspirations of him becoming a 500 wicket. Uh, no. Bowler for but England the, at the, all. Yeah, but the club has an association with a with a with a small club in Victoria in Australia, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. We for a number of years, just before Stuart uh, got of that age, we'd arranged an exchange with a club called Hoppers Crossing in Melbourne, and uh, he went out. Um, I think he was probably about eighteen, seventeen, perhaps. Uh, as far as we were concerned, he was going out as a batsman. Uh, but while he was there, he, he grew quite a lot because you know he's now six foot seven. He probably went out about five foot ten and came back six foot six or something. That's what it <laughs> seemed did. to us when he came back. And His he mum went didn't recognise him at the airport, I don't think. No, he went out as a batsman <laughs> and he came back as an all-rounder. Uh, you know, because he was still batting quite well, and uh, and as we all know, he's been capable of batting uh, and getting a century for England until he got that uh, nasty ball in the face. Uh, yes. So, yeah, but then he went to Leicestershire um, on and off playing for us, but going to the county, but he'd been playing for them as, uh, as a junior and through the age groups. And uh, that's probably when we didn't see him anymore as far as a player, but he's always been someone who's come back to the club and he's always had the club at heart. And whenever he'd got any, uh, any kit that was, he, he was too big for, he would donate it to somebody in the juniors or whatever, you know. So he's, yeah. he's been a fantastic club member, and uh, yeah, credit to everybody locally. So yeah. enjoy enjoy your enjoy your birthday, Jeff, and I'll catch up with you soon. Okay then, thanks very much, Jonathan. Bye bye, Jeff. Goodbye. There we go, Jeff Jeff Goodson from from Edgerton Park. We're just looking back at uh, at Stuart Broad's career, which uh, of course everyone hopes, and he will certainly hope, uh, is far from over. But he made his Test debut in 2007 in Colombo taking one for 95. It was one of the hottest test matches I think I've ever seen. And uh, young Stuart made his debut in that. His first wicket was Chaminda Vass. And his captain that day was Michael Vaughan. Mm. He's sitting alongside me. It was a brutal, it's a brutal, or the flattest, slowest pitch. What, the, the, good, think, good luck, Stuart. I can't make your debut. Yeah, I, th- I think if I remember, we batted first. I think we got off to a flyer. I think right. I was all right at lunch. I think I was 70-odd nuts out at lunch. And then usually... What happened in those days? Morley spun his magic and we were bowled out. And I think we maybe batted the day, I'm not too sure. And we certainly were bowling early on the second day, if not. And I think we fielded for pretty much two days, two, like two and a half days. Yeah. Uh, Jai Warden had got a, a big one. And, you know, I, I remember giving, um, before I gave him his cap, actually, I'd heard a lot about him. Um, you know, this is 2007, so I've been the captain since 2003. And there's names that pop up. Even even when you're, you're kind of a young player, a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, listen, obviously his name's famous anyway, but, yeah. you know, the whispers from around Leicester at the time, a few of my good pals in cricket were playing at Leicester, Paul Nixon, and he kept on texting me, probably, I reckon he must have been around 2005, saying, we've got one here, we've got one here, just Stuart Rhodes, a cricketer, proper cricketer. So you kind of study and you see them playing for the under-19s. And then when his name cropped up in around 2007 to tour, you know, he'd had a decent season. And I'd done a little bit of research. And the selectors obviously go and watch them play. And I just went, get him in. 
because I'd heard about his character. Yes. I said, get him in, let's get him on tour and let's have a look. It's not a, an easy tour, Sri Lanka, you know, it's going to be difficult, but you know what, you find out about characters on tours like that and straight away you knew. I, I never thought, and I don't think anyone that gives a, a player a debut cap thinks, well, you'll get 500 wickets. But straight away I, I knew he had the right determination, the right thought process which you require at the highest level to have a long career. Um, it was his thought process when he bowled. Yes. You know, a lot of England bowlers love him dearly, but they like me as a captain to set the field. You know, you, you, what do you want, skipper? It was one of those where Stuart Broad, even as a 21-year-old, he'd it, it, come on. I, I don't know if it was his first spell, but it was certainly early in his, his first spell. I remember him saying, skipper, I want X, Y and Z. And I went, no problem, that's fine. Yes. And there's some bowlers, again, that would, would ask for that. And you kind of go, um, uh, can, I, can I negotiate? <laughs> because it wasn't quite right, but... I always found with, with Stuart, and particularly when he came into the team in um, New Zealand 2008 when I had to get rid of um, Hoggy and Harmer, which was difficult for me as a captain. They'd done so much for me to bring in Stuart and Jimmy Anderson. Uh, I remember that game in Wellington, and you know, when you think they'd replaced two, you know, in my eyes, legends from what they'd done for English cricket, yeah. um, you, know, you could have been quite nervous as a young player to take over a Matthew Hoggard or a, a, a Steve Harmerson mantle. But straight away, he had confidence in his own game. You yes. know, he, he knew what he was trying to deliver. He knew what he, he, he was trying to achieve. I think, you, you know him well, Agus. He's, he's the kind of character that he, he almost like maps his years out. I think now he knows what he's going to do in five years' time. I think he knows where he's going to be. I think he's got an idea of where he wants his career to end. I think he's that kind of personality. Um, you know, and whatever he does from here on in, I honestly hope that he can get past Glenn McGrath's, what is it, five, uh, 63, because yes, yeah. wouldn't it be great for English cricket if we had Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad, uh, <laughs> yeah. the two leading seam bowls in the history of Test Match cricket, and when you think about what happens in, in cricket these days with the T20 format, will we see seam bowlers get to that 500 mark, maybe Rabada, maybe, Bolt, maybe, uh, Ishant Sharma, maybe, but you could argue that we might have just seen the last ever yeah, that's, 500 that's test match wicket. It's funny because we, we, when we talk about, well, sportsmen, but in this, in this case bowlers, you often sort of categorise them, you know, Jimmy Anderson, swing, or mm. you, know, you, you, you sort of categorise them in that way, but for me, with Stuart Broad, it is character. Mm. Or almost, you know, he's highly skilled, of course he is. Magnificent at hitting that length time after time after time at good pace. But it does seem to be there's, there's so much... Yeah, he has been challenged through during his career. Uh, people writing him off, saying that he's lost pace. Mm. Uh, the business of standing at Trent Bridge and the reception he got in Australia after that. Mm. Um, being dropped the other day. I mean, he, he, he's, it hasn't always been straightforward for him. But he's always... Gosh, he's, he's got this determination about mm. him. Well, I'll be the first to admit that my pencil sharpness sometimes been sharpened a little bit more so for Stuart Broad. Yeah. Purely because I know you get a reaction. Yes. You know, there's a there's a little bit of the captain in me when I write columns about Stuart. That I know that he's that kind of character, and I know that you know if you trigger him, I'm pretty sure he's one of only a few that really do actually have that kind of mentality. Of, All right, I'll prove you wrong, which is great for the team. You know, it's that ability, like we've seen in the last two test matches, to put yourself under pressure with an interview. I know he's played lots of cricket and he's experienced, but to put mm. yourself under that amount of pressure, yeah. even a 1-0 down in the series. Yeah. It could, and then it to could deliver, be the flattest pitch of all time here and he got naught for 100. Well, it, what and, people and, have said then? Well, he was naught for until that second new ball yes. in the first <laughs> inning, so yeah. he, he was feeling it a little bit. And, 
you know, he's always answered. He's always had that answer. Um, you know, however long he plays for, and I hope he carries on for as long as he can because he's bowling as, as well as you, you could argue that we've ever seen. Mm. Uh, with that pace element and that run-up, everything looks smooth. Uh, he found his batting this week, which is great for the team, great for him. Um, but I always feel, feel for him because it, we always have a conversation about Stuart and then it's Jimmy Anderson. And I always, yeah, I get that. I understand that that partnership's strong and you need a partnership and Jimmy bowling dots and producing his magic from one. And of course it helps you as a bowler, but let's not underestimate. It's Stuart that's got the 500 wicket yes. on his own. He's the one that gets up in the morning. He's the one that's, you know, had things said about him and he's come back. He's the one that's had, all, you know, injuries, been on that massage table, been on all the tours, been an international cricketer for 13, no one else. So this is the time where we actually should just completely highlight Stuart as the individual because it's only he that's done it. You know, I, again, he, his dad, Chris, always gets a mention and, and he's done a wonderful job with him. But it, it, it's Stuart that has yeah. had 13 years on a plane, in a hotel, uh, the discipline element, the sacrifices that you have to make. Um, he, he deserves everything that comes his way over the next a few days. There were so many columns written about him, but I hope it triggers him to think, come on, I can get 600 because he's bowling well enough and his body looks like it's strong enough at this stage yes. uh, to go on and get 600 wickets because they'll also have that moment, Jimmy and Stuart, that, that they'll, they'll wake up one day and it will come to an end. You know, and they've earned the right, both of them, uh, whenever that may be, whether it's in a year, in Australia in a year and a half, the summer afterwards, whenever that, that day is that they wake up and go, I just don't want to do this anymore. I think not one person could say that they've got it wrong because when you play for 14, 15 years, in Jimmy, Jimmy's case, what will it be? <laughs> How long has Jimmy been playing? 20 years? Yes, absolutely. 20 years at the highest level. You, yeah. You've earned the right to decide when you uh, decide to pull up your, your kind of boots and say that's it. The TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Yes, wonderful achievement for Stuart Broad today. You can watch all the highlights on Today at the Test on the BBC Sport website and the iPlayer. Check out BBC Sounds for plenty of TMS podcasts, including a Carlos Brathwaite special and a look back on the Graham Gooch 333 30 years on. We're back on air for the Royal London One Day International Series from 1.45 on Thursday. And then the first test against Pakistan starts on Wednesday, the 5th of August. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Jürgen, Jürgen, you're a big fan of the BBC Sounds app. Oh yes, oh yes. Well, we've heard reports that you've been enjoying the Football Daily podcast on here. I loved it. That makes me quite happy, to be honest. Jose, Football Daily is bringing top analysis and comment on BBC Sounds. How do you feel about that? Of course, it's the best thing in football. Are you a fan, Oli? Yeah, I love that. Wow, this is massive. Pep, Football Daily has some big name guests. Are you excited to listen? This is good news for us. The team is really good. Listen to the Football Daily podcast on the BBC Sounds app.